Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. High drama in Cincinnati. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. I am Paul Vigna, along with Stephen Grosser. You don't hear those words very often, high drama in Cincinnati. You don't. You don't hear them very often. But then again, Procter & Gamble. What? I can't believe Dave Benoit just went there. That was so upsetting. That was so upsetting. Drama in the Uh, podcast studio as well. Yeah, you know, hey, it's not every day that Procter & Gamble has a highly contentious uh, uh, annual shareholder meeting, but that is what happened in Cincinnati and our David Benoit I can't believe you just went there. Uh, is, is here with the details. Gee, David Benoit, what happened in Cincinnati today? Well, we essentially have a tie in some ways. What what happened this morning is uh, Procter & Gamble has declared they won. They fended off. Nelson Peltz is not going to be a director. Uh, the vote was too close to call even as the meeting started. They went through the whole meeting, and then they caused the CEO was like, uh, we have to have a brief recess. Don't anyone go anywhere. Then he came back out and declared that he won. Uh, and wow. then Nelson Peltz said, no, you didn't. Um, essentially, the try-in side is saying, the vote's way too close. You guys should not have been able to say you won. We need this thing to be certified. This is sort of like a Florida hanging chads uh, situation we have going on right now. And how well, long does that actually take, and what can people do in the meantime? This is Sarah yeah. Krause, by yeah, the I was, way. I was just saying, Hello. good question, Sarah <laughs> Krause, Wall Street Journal reporter. Uh, so that is uh, unclear. Essentially what has to happen is, is so this vote was – uh, kind of bizarre in lots of ways. Partially, there were right. There's this thing we've written about, which is there. Forty percent of the shares are held by individuals through brokers and, and retirees, et cetera, which is compared to an average of twelve percent in the S P five hundred. Um, that led to a apparently absurd amount of actual paper ballots instead of people phoning in or voting online or mm-hmm. on your smartphone mm-hmm. like you can now. People actually sent in ballots, which. Um, in the year 2017 are still counted by hand, mm-hmm. uh, which means everyone sort of says, all right, you got to vote them again. They, they really, they're going to get accountants in there. They're really going to go through this thing well, um, and check to fun. make sure people, you can vote multiple times, but only your last vote counts. So you got to make sure that kind of thing is done. Peltz has said uh, on CNBC already that there are, there are ballots that we know weren't counted um, so it, essentially, it's super close. It, the view is it's sort of how about, does he know that? Like, why they, is he how, saying that? Because they have their own team that gets access to the vote data. You have to like you both the company and the dissident activist gets to see the data. Okay. Um, hmm. So so they they have the same things. You know, the other thing that maybe you can give a little color on what actually went down at the meeting, because I think in, when you think of the, like, proxy voting world, it's, like, sort of stodgy and not that exciting. But there were hundreds of people in the room, right? And, like, a standing ovation. How did it all go down? Yeah, so we have uh, our, our, our P&G reporter, Sharon Turlip, is down there in Cincinnati. Um, but, yeah, there were, like, 400 people is, is the count for we're at this meeting, including a couple overflow rooms at one point. At one point, they asked for a question from the basement, and the whole audience sort of <laughs> chuckled. And he was like, I guess we shouldn't use the term the basement. Um, they started off with the national anthem. I gather everyone stood. Um, and and there, were, there were standing up. There were some pretty tough questions in the, in the Q&A. You know, shareholders get to stand up and, and ask questions. And 
if you've ever been to a shareholder meeting, sometimes that can kind of go off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, they had a bunch of retirees. Cincinnati has a huge base of P&G shareholders. That's what I was going to ask. How does that impact also the, 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 like the voting? I mean, so the, the, early, the early things we know about the vote, which are, are few and far between, are, are that – so the big, the big three, Vanguard, State Street, and BlackRock – uh, the big index funds are the biggest three shareholders. Vanguard voted for management, is our understanding. BlackRock and State Street went for Tryon, which mm. is a pretty pretty big swing. Uh, though a couple actively managed funds at BlackRock hmm. actually voted for uh, management. So BlackRock split a little bit. Mm-hmm. Wow. But that's a pretty small percentage. And then the other big block of shares that went to management um, is about 7.5% is owned by employee plans. And those were a huge uh, account for management, which essentially shows there's still an issue for activists in which even if you can win Wall Street mines, workers are still terrified of them. Yeah. And that's what keeps coming up. And this is the same thing that happened to DuPont uh, where the city of Wilmington was like out in arms to stop Nelson Peltz from breaking up DuPont. In Cincinnati, the mayor came out in favor of Procter & Gamble, like the ex-CEOs were out. Wow. Um, there, the the local press was all over this. Nelson Peltz flew to Cincinnati right after Labor Day to start his campaign with the local press. Mm-hmm. Like and this is something in, in but, Procter and Gamble and ADP to a degree, right? Where when you take on very well resourced companies, they fight back. Yep. Yep. Well, the other question too is 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 it fair for the workers to be worried about activists? Because activists largely have an well earned reputation for cost controls, cost cutting. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that means job losses. That means jobs. That is that's absolutely true. Uh, there, there are people who lose out when a stock goes up. Right. That's if if an activist number one job is to get the stock up, then right. you're right. That is going to cost people jobs. Probably it's going to cost people uh, benefits and other things. Um, so there there certainly is reason to be afraid. There is also a uh, there was a Procter and Gamble campaign here to allege essentially that Nelson Peltz was trying to break it up and trying to take the business out of Cincinnati. Hmm. Um, the economic which, development play. Correct. Both of which were, um, I wouldn't say, uh, I don't know, sneaky. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. But, but you know, that, that, that's politicking, essentially, yeah. and, uh, and maybe not totally transparent. B- by the way, the, the sound maybe you hear in the background of this podcast, I know I hear it, uh, all that drilling and everything. We're on 47th Street in Manhattan, and they tore down the building next to us, and they're putting up a new one. So I am now imagining we are going to hear construction on a lot of these podcasts. Yeah. For months and months and months. It's a little extra something, something. A little extra, a little, little taste in New York, Midtown okay. New York. Right. That's what we do. We tear down buildings and put up new ones. So that is what you are hearing. Back to the topic at hand, though. Um, can you, <laughs> well, David? It was just like, becoming like, uh, distracting to me. Paul, um, David, can you like take a step back and for the people who like we sort of jumped into the middle of this, but give a little bit of the background of this, you know, this this campaign and Tryon's involvement with PNG. Sure. So um, Tryon uh, owns about $3.5 billion of stock in Procter & Gamble. They bought it up uh, and have spent sort of the last few months talking to the company, uh, trying to convince them to let them just come on the board, which is kind of what typically happens with a Tryon investment, kind of like what happened with General Electric yesterday. Um, 
they have this argument that, listen, Procter & Gamble, you guys are this massive global set of brands. Uh, you're number one in most of your markets, uh, but you should be growing much faster in your stock, which has sort of languished for the last 10, 15 years, uh, should be doing much better. There's a huge ability. There's a huge uh, gap here, and, and, and Procter & Gamble should be catching up. Procter & Gamble says, listen, we, we only named a new CEO uh, a little while ago, uh, November 2015, I think, if I'm right. We're already on, we're already on pace to do these things. We, we know what our problems are, and, and everything Nelson Peltz has said, we already know. We know these problems. We're, we're on track to fix these things. We have a great board. We don't need Nelson Peltz in the middle of this disrupting everything and trying to fix everything up. Uh, and they've said, we, we just don't think he should be on our board. And that led to a, a proxy fight that essentially kicked off in September, but really uh, kind of post-Labor Day, these these guys have been going at it tooth and nail. It's, it's been relatively uh, polite for a proxy fight. It wasn't like an arconic fight where they were kind of gunning at each other. But uh, it's still been the most expensive fight in history. At least $60 million is the number that's being thrown around. Um, it's pretty wild. But I think one thing to keep in mind, obviously the the result of today's vote is yet to be seen. But I do think it says something that it's it was as close as it was in the end. I mean, the fact that roughly 50 percent of shareholders supported some sort of change, I think it, it's sort of telling in a way. That was, that was what Pelt said at the meeting, essentially. Listen, win or lose, the board needs to needs to show some improvement. Yeah. And this it reminded me a little bit of the Dell, you know, when they were trying to take Dell private and that vote on that deal, which was down got to got delayed the, twice. Yeah. At least this vote happened. Yeah. All right. Sarah Krause, David Benoit, thank you both very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. When we come back, we're not done yet, folks. When we come back, we are going to shift gears. I know I used a little little auto, little lingo there, right? Right? Shifting gears. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Tesla. The master You are of the listening. <laughs> That's a bad one. Sorry. Uh, you are listening to Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat. And, you know, one of Wall Street's darlings, this is no surprise, is Tesla, the electric car company founded by Elon Musk that has a a pretty tremendous stock valuation, uh, pretty tremendous following, some pretty good-looking cars, I'll, I'll say, too. And some rather high goals that maybe are too high. Charlie Grant is heard on the street writer, and he joins us to talk about truth catching up to Tesla. That was the, the title of his uh, heard on the street column that came out on Saturday. It was. I cribbed it. Well done, Charlie. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Every time I come on here, guys, the story gets a little more improbable, and the stock price goes a little higher. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's actually you, funny. You are definitely tilting against a windmill on this. No, <laughs> for now, at least. Yes. And yeah. you've been all over this story, to be honest. Like, you've been, you've been doubting, you know, raising doubts about Tesla because of how, you know, the big issues that they face and that the street seems to be ignoring. 
Yeah, um, and you know, some there's the plausibility issue with Tesla of whether they can really rise up as a startup and dominate the electric car industry, which some people believe is the future of automobiles. Um, and then there's the philosophy of Tesla, where the management they're. A, Aggressive goal setting. We're gonna do do the impossible in front of you. Um, it starts to co- you know clash a little bit with um, reality and what investors have a right to um, right to under American securities laws, which are good faith. Um, public right. prognostications about what you're up to. And that really seemed to come to a head on Friday afternoon. Can you explain the Tesla announcement for people who might not cover? Or, or to a hand. Sure. To a hand. To a hand. That's very good, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, my, my fantastic colleague in San Francisco, Tim Higgins, uh, reported Friday afternoon that Tesla, until at least very recently, has been building key parts of the Model 3 sedan by hand. Um, that is... That comes about three days after Tesla said that they built 260 of these Model 3s in the third quarter. The forecast, which Tesla gave um, in August, reaffirmed it, was for 1,500. So Tesla missed its number by 80% less than eight weeks after they gave it. Right. Be- because they are actually doing these, which is funny. You know, when I first he- heard that Tesla's building in my hand, I thought, oh, what are they going for the, you know, the, the artisanal auto electric yes. automobile yes, market? Very- you know, like, are they trying to spin this as, well, we're making these by hand? But no, the problem is they're making them by hand and they are not making them nearly well, as fast as they said they were going to. Well, and they're, and they're, parts of it are automated, right? It's not, it's not that they're building the entire car by right, hand. Right. But, but what that does is it calls into question just how many of these they can build and also the ability to build them at a profit, right? So Ford, GM, Toyota, these cars are rolling in off the assembly line, you know, one, two, three a minute. Tesla's doing three a day. Yeah. And you... It's that might not be a problem if you're a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, right? You're catering to a very small, ultra wealthy set. And you know, for Tesla, um, they, you know, their early products were for that group. Yes. Like it's really not as big of a right. deal when you're trying to move into the mass market. That's a much bigger problem. Which is what the new car is supposed to do. Supposed to. How how successful is tri- tri- oh, sorry? How successful has Tesla been at turning? A profit on the luxury cars they were um, purchasing before. Not not very successful. They have a very high gross profit margin, which the bulls will point to. But this is really not an apples to apples comparison with other automakers. Um, there's a lot of things in Tesla's that get t- subtracted out of Tesla's gross margin that Ford and GM would count as expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the proof is in the pudding. Tesla has never made a full year of profits, and the, the losses get worse the more cars they make. On a gap basis. On, on a gap basis. standard yes. accounting yes. basis. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And I guess the, the, the big issue for Tesla is also how much debt they have. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and talk about how that is an issue that investors should pay right. attention to. Um, well, they're not paying attention to it. And it's, it's, <laughs> That's very it's, true. It's a big problem. Um, they have about $20 billion in liabilities. That number is going to be set to grow soon. Um, they just issued $1.5 billion in debt in August. Um, that bond is trading below par. Um, two months after. And this is a white-hot junk bond market, just like stocks and everything else. Um, so it's really not a good sign that th- that bond is you know, trading where it is. Um, also, the, the balance sheet, there's no sign that this is the end of their capital needs. So they're going to need to borrow or issue more equity soon to keep the funding going. And for now, I mean, Wall Street is still patient. People still buy into th- 
the mystique of Elon right. Musk. They buy into the belief that Tesla is new and magical, frankly. Um, and they're willing to fund the money. But, um, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, the longer you are depending on the capital markets to fund your operations, well, the, that could be a very scary thing. No, I mean, they can, capital markets, as we've all seen, can turn on a dime. Yes, yes. And, and if it closes and you need the money, then shareholders are going to have a big problem. What was the saying they used to have for, for jobs in Apple? The Something about the dis- reality distortion field or something, right? Yeah, there was a term for it. Like, like Musk is a reality distortion field. He comes and he says things, and people believe him. and They think they're great, mm-hmm. and, and people think Tesla is this you know tremendous company. And and I just like to run through a few of the factual issues that Tesla's guidance has run into in Please recent do. years because there's a, a number of alarming examples. Um, in July, when Tesla unveiled the Model Three, Elon Musk told reporters at a press conference that Tesla has more than five hundred thousand reservations for the car. Um, we looked at their balance sheet accounts because customer deposits show up as a liability on the balance sheet. And we didn't see how that made sense. So we asked Tesla about that. Didn't hear back for a few days. And then on the conference call to discuss earnings, Elon corrected the record, said 455,000 reservations. The earlier number had been just a guess. Um they said they were going to build 100,000 to 200,000 Model 3s in the second half of this year. That was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. We're at 260. <laughs> so a little, little bit off. A little bit off. A little bit off. A little bit off. Yeah. Um, on October 26th last year, when Tesla was trying to acquire, win a shareholder approval to acquire Solar City, they reaffirmed fourth quarter delivery guidance. Fast forward to January of 2017, they missed their number. And they said that production issues started cropping up in late October. But we didn't hear about so, that for two months. So, I mean, I, there is a difference here between Jobs and Elon Musk, or at least yes. from performance. And now, let's give Elon Musk and Tesla a lot of credit. What they're trying to do is incredibly difficult. Yes. Ramp up, become a mass market car company. Very few have ever been successful. Almost none of them. And then very few have pulled it off. And he has. He's fundamentally changed the industry. I mean, he is yes. the, the industry. And all credit to him yeah. for that. All, it is him. But, it is him yeah. making this. The big autos are going into EVs and it is because of Elon Musk. Yeah. And I tip my hat to him. It's impressive. But you have to look at this and say, at what point does Wall Street expect you to deliver on your promises yeah. and, and hold you accountable to those pro- yeah. promises and, uh, or forecasts. And, and people think of Tesla as a startup, and it's really not. They've been in business since 2003. They've been public since 2010. And at a certain point, you're a $60 billion enterprise, and it's time right. to behave and the like biggest, it. And the biggest by market cap automaker in the country, that's right? That's right. That's right. Or it's close. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, it, but, but right it, up there with But it was at one point this year yes. the biggest yes. in the country. And, and the real question, which is you, you hinted at it at the very beginning, Charlie, is, at what point are these statements that are not quite accurate, and at what point are they actually misleading? I mean, let's be blunt about it. This is what you're talking about. Yeah. At what point are they misleading shareholders? Yes. Are I, they at that point? or how? And if not, how close are they to yeah. that point? Um, thought experiment for you. What if GM issued a production forecast and eight weeks later, for eight weeks out, and then eight weeks later they missed by 80%? 
What would people say? Yeah. That at a very minimum, they would question the competence of the mm-hmm. CEO. Yeah. And they'd have a point. Right. But somehow this story, you know, people are people so enchanted by Elon Musk that they're willing to look past, you know, a lot of alarming things that are right in front of them. People it's, like visionaries. Yes. Reality distortion field is exactly the term that, that one of uh, the Macintosh developers put on Steve Jobs in the early 80s. They say, yeah. like, this is what happens with Steve. You know, like, it's this char- charisma, this, 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 this power of, of person, you know, his personal will. And, and mm-hmm. Elon Musk has yes. some of that. Yes. And Steve Jobs did deliver the iPhone, Steve of Jobs did deliver. But yes, now, but, I mean, over but, the decades, but, but, over well, the decades was, he delivered. Yes. And, wow. And Apple had... Wow. Let's, I mean, right. he did lose his job as CEO. Yes. His that's company right. did almost go out of business. Yes. He did have to, you know. Yes. So, yes. I mean, like, I mean, but that's the thing. It's, you know, when they were saying, that, you know, making that comment about him, that was in the 80s. Yeah, was yeah it was the early 80s. You're right. You're absolutely Steve right. Jobs by, you know, yes. 2000 yeah. was became yes. really the icon that he right. is. And, right. And when the iPhone came out, Apple had a billion dollars in gap net income, yeah. by the way. Like, they, their business nah. stood on its own, yeah. which is not what's going on here. Yeah, Charlie? Thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you soon. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.